So let's get into the word of God. Let's get into the word of God. Pastor Sean and I have been teaching this series for the last uh, last five, six weeks, I believe it is. Uh, and it's been uh, one of those things where people have been tremendously uh, blessed by the word. And uh, I, I, I think it's one of those things that is just it's, it's a right now word. It's a right now word. We've been talking about managing disappointment. Now, before I do that, I, I like to do this at each of our huddles. So I'm going to do it today. I want to read our guiding word for 2024. <clears throat> I want to read it. And I know it's, it's not long, but it's not short. But I want to read it because some of you may have never heard it. And I want you to have an idea of why we show up the way we show up. Here's why we're excited about 2020. Anybody excited about 2024? Now, if you were here this weekend and you came for the million dollar expert, you ought to be excited. Amen. You can't be on your way to millionaire status and claiming millionaire status and not be excited. Amen. So here's our guiding word for, for 2024. And it's interesting because I now have a. We didn't have a tag. You know, usually we have a tag that we put with it. I don't, I don't make up one. And so I hadn't gotten one from the Lord, but we, I have what I'm going to share with you today. Here's what it says. It says, I am your father in covenant. And I declare unto you that there has been a shift. Somebody say shift. In the realm of the spirit. And these future days are the days that I have long prepared for you. The supernatural shall increase in every arena of your life. So prepare yourselves, for I have opened heaven's gates wide for you. And those who believe and those who will receive, I'll begin to perform mighty acts on their behalf. There will be an increase in angelic assistance. There will be an increase of the miraculous. And my glory shall manifest in different ways. So prepare yourselves, for you'll be unable to explain it. Glory to God. My mighty works will be at hand, and they will be marvelous. It says, stay calm, no matter what you notice happening in the world. I've got you. And all shall be well. I've decided long ago that this time shall appear. A time for my glory to be near. So as you walk, do it with joy and peace. For my supernatural will escort you through the heat. You will not have to worry about defeat. For my supernatural will escort you through the battle. And you will not have to be concerned about the financial problems that will be forecast. For my supernatural will provide for you both seed and bread. He says, now remember my covenant with you. For I am your father and you, you are my children. And now it is time for you to see the full benefits of me being your God. Somebody say full benefits. It says, for my supernatural is now at hand. Welcome it. Walk in it. Have faith in it. And rejoice in it. As I escort you into victory. Now somebody will give God some praise for that. We've been reading that since December. We've been reading for that for, since December. And, and part of what we have been talking about is trusting and believing God's word 
above what we see. Amen. Above what we may be experiencing, above what they may be saying on CNN or Fox News or anything else. We have been talking about how do we trust God? And so I was listening to our spiritual parents a couple of weeks ago and they were preaching out of Psalms, uh, out of Proverbs. It was Proverbs four. And they were talking about this being the year of fixed purpose. Now, you know, we came back in December. <clears throat> Pastor Sean and I began to tell you that we were releasing on you that this was a season of supernatural kindness. And it was a season of rebound and recovery. But when they started preaching about the year of fixed purpose, I thought that is what the Lord gave us in our guiding word. And so I want you to go, if you can, Pastor Ralph, I want you to go to that first slide. And I want us to take a look at what they were talking about with the year of fixed purpose. Say, this is, this is my year my of fixed purpose. Son, well, how can you declare that? Because my daddy declared it. My mom declared it. And if my mom and my dad declare that this is a year of fixed purpose, it becomes a year of fixed purpose for me. Now, if I'm your spiritual father, if I'm your pastor, if she's your mom, if she's your pastor, then this should become the year of fixed purpose for you. Amen. Now, what does it mean to be in a year of fixed purpose? So if you look at Proverbs 4, 25, uh, 4, Proverbs 4, 23 through 25 in the Passion Translation, here's what it says. It says, so above all, <clears throat> guard the affections of your heart. Now, think about this in terms of we're talking about managing disappointment. It says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Avoid dishonest speech. Don't say about yourself something different than what God has said. If God says you win, don't you dare say you lose. If God says you can, don't you dare say you can't. If God says you above and not beneath, don't you dare declare something different than what God has said. He says, avoid dishonest speech and pretentious words. Be free from using perverse words no matter what. Now watch this last part. He says, do this. Set your gaze on the path before you with fixed purpose. Looking straight ahead, ignoring life's distractions. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. Disappointment, disappointment is just a distraction. Oh, some of y'all going to get free this morning. Some of y'all going to get free this morning. The things you have been experiencing that have put you in a place of disgruntledness, a place, some things that have happened that have put you in a place of sadness and depression, all of those things come to distract you from what God has effectively said about you. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about managing disappointment as we embrace our season of supernatural kindness. Say, this is, this is my, season my season of supernatural, of supernatural kindness. kindness. Say, this is, this is my season, my season of, breakthrough of breakthrough and recovery. Now, I wish I had three folks who believed it. I wish I had three people who believe. You, you got to grab hold. See, sometimes you don't even have to be convinced of the word to grab hold to the word. 
You just need to hear the word so you can put yourself in the word. This is the season for God to be good to me. This is the season for me to get back everything that the devil thought he took from me. I'm reclaiming my dreams. I'm reclaiming my desires. I'm going after my destiny. Everything God has purposed for me, I'm taking it back. It is my season of supernatural kindness and of rebound and recovery. But the Bible says that you and I have an adversary. We have an adversary in this earth who wants to do everything he can to trip us up and to make us think that the word of God is of no effect, at least in our lives. In fact, if you begin to read over in John chapter 16, it is recorded where Jesus says these words. He says, in this world, you will have troubles. He declares to us, you are going to have some troubles in this world. Just because you walk up to this altar and you give your life to Christ does not mean you're going to go home and never experience tragedy. It doesn't mean you're not ever going to experience loss. It doesn't mean you might not have some financial setbacks, some health setbacks. Your kids may act a fool on you. It does not mean that God's word is not working. It simply means that it rains on the just how do we know it rains on the just as well as the unjust? Well, first of all, Jesus says in this world you're going to have trouble. Jesus is not a liar. So if Jesus says I'm going to have some troubles and I need to prepare myself to have some troubles because I know Jesus is not a liar, trouble is going to come. But he didn't leave us there. He said you are going to have trouble. He says, but be of good courage. He says, because I have already overcome the world. If you're a world overcomer, give God some praise. Well, Pastor, how, how am I one overcomer? He said, because if I am, if you are in me and I am in you, we can't be defeated. We can't be defeated. So you have to know that, yes, trouble's going to come. And when trouble comes, I got to be prepared to handle or manage the disappointment that comes with trouble. But then I read over there in Luke chapter six. And in Luke chapter six, it gives us a description of these two homes. And it says two men built two homes. It says, but one man built his house on a solid foundation and one built his house on sand. And that was the only difference in the homes. And he says, and then later on, a storm came. Somebody say a storm. storm. See, storms represent disappointments in your life. When you lose somebody you love and you wouldn't expect it, that's a storm. When you lose your job unexpectedly, that's a storm. When you get a report from the doctor that you wasn't expecting and they tell you that you've got something that's incurable. How many of you know that's a storm? When you're going through a rough spot in your marriage or you and your kids aren't getting along or maybe you're just having some, some challenges where your thinking is concerned. You're not feeling good about yourself. How many of you know that's a storm? Yeah. And the Bible says that a storm came into both houses. Somebody say both houses. Both houses. So just because you go to church don't mean you're not going to have some storms. Just because you're a tiger doesn't mean you're not going to have some storms. Just because you're on a greeter ministry or just because you're on a praise team or you serve in some of the auxiliary of the church, it doesn't mean you won't have some storms. Because the Bible says both men built the house. He says a storm came to both. He said the rain fell on both and the winds blew on both. But notice, he says, and great was the ruin of one of them. Great was the ruin of one of the houses. What was the difference between both houses? What they were built on. The Bible says one was built on a solid foundation. The solid foundation metaphorically represents the word of God for us. 
The sand that the other one was built on metaphorically represents us being built on whatever we can provide for ourselves. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. what are you built on? See, that's the question for this morning. What are you built on? Because whatever you are built on is what's going to have to support you when the storms come. And the storms are going to come. The rain is going to fall and the wind is going to blow. But the ruin of your house does not have to be great if you learn to depend on God's word. Tell your neighbor, say, I can can manage life's disappointments. Understand this, effectively dealing with disappointment as a born-again believer involves becoming proficient in learning how to integrate your faith with other sound biblical practices. I said this during one of my teachings, and we've adopted it now. I told somebody, I said, we are a skills-based ministry. A skills-based ministry. What is a skills-based ministry? One of the things that we believe in is that you can come into this ministry lacking And you can sit under this teaching in whatever you need to know to walk in love, to live by faith and experience God's prosperity in every other life. It can be taught to you. In fact, make this declaration. Say what I don't know today. I I sure can learn. learn. You can learn it. You can learn it. You may say, well, I've always lived defeated. You don't have to always live defeated. You can learn to live above life circumstances. We are a skill-based ministry teaching you how to do it. But what people have to understand is that nothing happens with ease. We live in a society where people want everything to happen overnight. You can't live the life of someone else when they spent years dedicated to the word and you spend years watching TV. Your faith won't be as strong as someone else who spent time building their faith when you spend time keeping it real. You've got to learn to dig in and make the decision that God's word is true and that you'll do whatever you need to do to learn God's word so that you can live out your best life. Now, understand this approach must be rooted in a deep understanding and a deep belief that believers like you and I can and do find strength, guidance and peace by exercising our faith and by relying on the promises and wisdom of God's word. God's promises are sure. Say, God's promises are sure. Say it again. Say, God's promises are sure. And I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 19, in the contemporary English version, says this. It says, no one is greater than God. That's a, that, that's a, that's a shouting moment. It starts by saying, no one is greater than God. So God made a promise in his own name when he said to Abraham, I, the Lord, will bless you, Abraham, with many descendants. It says, and then after Abraham, watch this, had been what? Very patient. What's another word for patient? 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 Consistent. After Abraham had been very consistent. This is key because sometimes you're asking God to do something. God tells you he's going to do it. But if he don't do it by Wednesday, you give up on God. Yeah, sometimes not that long. You're right. But the Bible says after 
Abraham got this promise. And notice this. Why could he be consistent? Verse, because, of, because of verse 13. No one is greater than God. It says no one is greater than God. And God made a promise to Abraham. And when he made the promise, he made the promise in his own name. When God makes you a promise, he doesn't make it in your name. God doesn't say, Tamara, in the name of Tamara, I'm going to bless you. God doesn't even say, son, in the name of the son, I'm going to bless Tamara. He doesn't use anything that he created as the basis of his promise. He doesn't use the moon. He doesn't use the stars. He doesn't use the galaxy. And he doesn't use you. He doesn't use angels. He said, I swear by God that I'll bless you. God's promises are sure. It says, and then after Abraham had been very patient, he was given what God had promised. It says, when anyone wants to settle an argument, glory to God, they make a vow by using the name of someone or something greater than themselves. He says, here's why we do it. Because if we use something greater than ourselves, it ain't got to be no argument. God said, why are you arguing about whether I'm going to bless you or not? Why are you debating with people about whether I'm going to heal you or not? Why are you debating with people whether I'm going to fix your relationship or not? Why are you talking about whether or not I'm going to give you the job I told you or not? Why are you arguing about that? I have promised you about something that's greater than everything, and that is my name. Watch this, watch this, watch this. He said, so when God wanted to prove, verse 17, when God wanted to prove for certain that his promise to his people, say I'm his people, could not be broken, he made a vow. It says God cannot tell a lie. And so his promises and his vows are two things that can never change. It can never change. So what has God told you? What did God tell you about your life? What has God promised you? What has God said to you in our guiding word? What has God said to you as you're praying? What has God said to you as you're journaling? What has God said to you when you're walking? What has God promised you? What did God tell you this weekend at the Million Dollar Expert event? What did God say about that business? What did God say about that dream? God cannot lie. God cannot lie. It says, and to prove to you he can't lie, he made both a vow and a promise, and he did it in his own name. He then says, we have run to God for safety. He says, now his promises should greatly encourage us to do what? To take hold of the hope. Somebody say hope. Somebody say hope. Somebody say hope. Take control, take hold of the hope that is right in front of us. This hope, the hope that we're grabbing hold to this morning, the hope that you were grabbing hold to when they were worshiping, the hope that you have right now that is resonating on the inside of you. He said, this hope is like a firm and steady anchor for your soul so that when disappointment show up, you are not moved. You are not moved. You are not moved because things didn't go your way. 
I'm not moved because I didn't get the call back from the job. I'm not moved because the Lord told me this was my year to get a house and I've already been told three times. I'm not moved. I'm not moved by that. I'm not moved because the Lord said this is the year to launch my business and when I asked the person who I believe was supposed to help me, they said not right now. I'm not moved. Their no just means somebody else has the yes. Oh, I wish y'all would hear me this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, your no is not your final no. So if God says yes, your yes is out there. Will you give God some praise for the yes? Understand that by turning to God and relying on his promises, we as believers can learn to navigate these challenges of disappointment and we can do it with grace and resilience and hope and an assurance of God's unfailing love and wisdom toward us. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, in the New Living Translation, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things happen to us, and it's happening for us, because we know that it is working for our good, because we do love God and it is fitting into his plans. So I don't always get to see everything God can seize. God tells me the end, but he may not tell me what the journey's going to look like. So God says, I'm going to raise up somebody to help you do what you can't do. And the first three or four people you go to, they may say yes. They may not say yes, even though God told you to go to them. What do you mean, pastor? I mean, people have free will just like you do. What do you mean? I mean like when God tells you to move and to help somebody and you have to decide whether you're going to do it? Well, that same free will exists for other people. And those people may say no, but they're saying no doesn't stop God. God knew where your yes was going to be even if they said no. And as long as you keep obeying God, you keep moving down the pathway to your yes. And so as we've been saying for weeks, disappointment is an inevitable comparison in life, a companion in life's journey. Yet as born again believers, we are not left alone to face these trials by ourselves. We actually can overcome them. Now, let me do this real quick. I want you to remind you about what our definition of disappointment is. You remember what we said disappointment was? We said disappointment is the feeling of dissatisfaction. And it follows failure or the perceived failure of an expectation or a hope that we had that would manifest in our lives. That's what disappointment is. You thought when you asked them out, they would say yes. They said no, they weren't interested. You were disappointed. You thought they were going to give you the raise when you went into the office, but they actually wrote you up. You were disappointed. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> You were disappointed. You thought the boss was calling you in to give you a raise. They put you on a PPP plan. That's disappointment. You thought something was going to happen and it didn't happen for you. And sometimes it's beyond our control. I never thought I'd lose my dad when he was 54 years old. But I did. I was disappointed. And the problem for most people, though, is they get stuck in disappointment. 
My wife said this last week, and I'm going to try to say it the way she said, and if I mess it up, you jump right on up here. Last week we were in D.C., and she said what happens is people don't realize that disappointment comes, and it encapsulates them in that moment. And it can be a year, three years, five years, or ten years, and you're still living in that moment of disappointment. So much so that when we started teaching this, we were talking about how to stay in faith in times of disappointment. And we were talking about this. We had a gentleman who contacted the ministry because someone shared the broadcast and he listened to it. And here's what he had to say. He said, I want you to know that I listened to that entire message. And I realized that my father was killed in an accident 10 years ago. And I haven't moved on from that moment since 10 years ago. He said, I, I, I still go to church. But I don't get a lot of joy out of it. My relationship with my kids has deteriorated. Me and my wife are together, but it's almost like we're just roommates. He said, I, I, every day I think about my dad being killed in a car accident. Every day. He said, the decisions I make, I realize I'm making them based on that decision. He said, but I listened to the message and I've decided I won't be living in disappointment any longer. I won't be living in disappointment any longer. For some of you, it's time to move on. You got a divorce nine years ago. It's over. They didn't move on. The divorce was good for you. Can, can, I, can I help you? Can I help you? It was good for you. You were miserable the whole time you were married. But you are encapsulated in the disappointment of I got a divorce. Rather than living in, I made a mistake. Now it's time for me to move home. That's what disappointment is. But you can choose to live in disappointment or you can choose to live in hope. What is hope? Hope is a mindset. Hope is the mindset. It is an, it is an optimistic state of mind that you have based on what? The expectation of a positive outcome. And so think about this. If, dis if, if, if disappointment is based on an expectation not being met, then I can have the expectation that it will be. Sometimes you have to flip what's happening to you. Let me give you a prime example. Let me give you a prime example how you do it. You have to change the context of the meaning sometimes. Let's say you leave your house at just the right time you're supposed to leave the house to be at work. You know how long it takes you. I mean, you're so good, you, you, you even know when the traffic light's going to be red or green. I mean, you got it down. But as you're driving, someone pulls out in front of you. You have to slam on your brakes, and now when you get to the light that's supposed to be green, it's red. Now, you are upset that that person pulled out in front of you. And if you aren't careful, you will have the mindset to say something like this. I can't believe they did that to me. Like they woke up that morning and said, I can't wait to get done on the highway so I can pull out in front of her and make her have to sit at this red light. But if you don't change your mindset, you can live in that moment all day. And so now you're upset that someone pulled out in front of you. Now you're walking to the water cooler. And before you get there, somebody get to the water cooler. Now you see everybody against me. Everything becomes something about how people are against you. Because you have a mindset that way. 
But you can flip the script when they part in front of you. You can say, oh, God bless them. Maybe they're having an emergency. Maybe they just got some bad news. Maybe, they, maybe, maybe they're late for work, and if they don't get to work, they're going to get fired. If I'm, if I'm late for work, I mean, whatever. I mean, it ain't no big deal for me today. You can flip the script. So then when you're walking to the water cooler and Sally gets in front of you, you're like, no, girl, go ahead. You look like you need water. <laughs> get you two cups, girl. <laughs> I mean, whatever you need. Because why? When you change the mindset, you control the narrative. When you change your mindset, you're controlling the narrative. The enemy can't coach you into thinking this ain't going to work for you. This ain't going to turn out the way you want to. Why? Because your mindset, your soul, your spirit, man, come together. They help you to change the narrative. And so we've been talking the last couple of weeks and we gave you two of the practical principles that you need in order to manage disappointment. So I'm just going to recap those. Number one, we said you got to have an attitude of gratitude. you got to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. You may not have everything you want, but I guarantee you, you can walk out here and find somebody who will trade places with you. I mean, quick, fast, in a hurry. They'll take every problem you got, every problem. I don't, you don't have a problem you couldn't trade. They'll take everything you got and trade with you. And so what you got to learn to do is cultivate this attitude of gratitude, because when you're in this place of gratitude, there's becomes this thing that is a true called the law of attraction. You begin to attract those positive things to you. Your mindset. We know it's true because we see it in the Bible. The Bible says that Job feared. Right. Job feared the loss of his kids. He feared the loss of his, uh, loss of his life, his, the, his uh, livestock. He Job, Job prayed every day because he feared. So was Job in faith? No. Job prayed because he was afraid. And the Bible says the thing that he feared came upon him. So we don't pray fear-based prayers around here. We don't go in and talk to God about, God, if you don't help me, I don't know what I'm going to do. You don't know what you're going to do anyway. No, seriously, you ought to tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, if God didn't help me, I'm going to fail anyway. Pastor Sean and I live by that motto. If God doesn't help us, we're going to fail. We don't have enough education. We don't have enough connections. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough resources. If God doesn't help us, we are going to fail. And so are you. So you got to cultivate this attitude of gratitude. And the second thing we said you got to do is you got to trust God's plan. You got to trust God's plan. I don't care how crazy it is. I don't care how antithetical it is to what everybody else has told you to do. If God tells you to go left and everybody says you should go right, you better be going left. You better be going left. We have a, we have a mandate at this ministry. People ask us a question. We have one reverberating question we ask back. And that is? What did God say? Because it don't matter what Sean say. It don't matter what Edwin say. What did God say? Now, based on what you say, we can tell you whether or not you heard God. <laughs> we can tell you whether you heard God or some other God based on what you say. But we want to know, what did God say? And people say, well, I don't know. Well, go back and ask. Why? Because you need to know that if God said it, then when tough times come, you ain't got to run from it. It's a whole lot of folk who God never told him to get married. 
suck it back in now. God ain't tell you to get married. He just did. He just didn't. He just, he just didn't. Right. Well, oh, right. he didn't tell you to marry them. <laughs> he didn't tell you to marry them. And so what happens is, is when times get tough, people are trying to battle and understand whether they should fight for their marriage or not. And when I do marriage counseling, which is I tell people I'm not a certified counselor. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not. So I, I'm not obligated to have to live by those rules and regulations. So I ask simple questions like this. Did God tell you to marry them? Because if God didn't tell you to marry them, I'm not going to spend the next 32 hours talking to you about why you should be together. I'm just not going to do that. What I want you to do is spend the next hour asking God, should you stay? Because that hour is much more productive. Now, if God told you to stay, I can help you with the tools necessary to stay. But when Sean and I were, and you're three and four of our relationship, two, maybe maybe two, three, three and four for sure. And you're three and four. Five. And five, okay. I say two, we know three and four, she say five. So between year two and five, we knew that even though we had these issues, one thing we knew for sure is God told us to marry each other. We knew that part. So we didn't have these wonderings of, Lord, did I make a mistake? It was like, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing to fix this? Because I know this is what you said. So it's not just about marriage, but even, on your, even, on, even if you get ready to take a job, even if it's about raising your kids, what did God say to you? And most people don't spend enough time to sit long enough to hear what did God say. And the reason they don't know what God say is because of this next point. They don't know the word. They don't know the word. You don't know the word. And so you got to understand that if you are going to manage disappointment, one of the but there are four things and you can put all four of them up. There are four things you got to learn how to do. You got to one read, study and reflect on God's word. You've got to read your word. You cannot pick up your Bible just when you come to church. We have four commitments at this church. We have four solid commitments that we ask all partners to commit to. Number one, we ask you to read your word every single day. I don't care if it's through a devotional. I don't care if it's through a purposeful study. I don't care if, 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 if it's because you listen to a sermon and you study those scriptures out. You should be reading your word every day. You eat every day. If you eat food every day, eat your word every day. Number two, we said you got to learn to pray for wisdom, guidance, and strength. I was talking about our four commitments. We said you got to read your. We said read your Bible every day. We ask our people not to miss a service for a whole year. Well, for a whole year? Yeah, because they're recorded online. You can listen to them when you want to. We just ask you to listen. We ask you to build time into your weekly schedule that you listen to prayer twice and you listen to Bible study once and church once. That means you may have to only watch three episodes of your favorite Netflix show well, come on. instead of 12. Amen. But we ask you to do it. We ask you to spend time praying in the Holy Spirit every day, at least an hour, at least an hour. Give God one twenty-fourth of your day in praying in tongues. You may have to break that up. Some of you don't have the, the endurance. You break it up into, into segments, 15 minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time, 5 minutes at a time. On your ride to work, on your ride home, pray in the Holy Spirit. It builds up your most holy faith. And then number four, we ask you to also spend time taking communion. Take communion. When the Lord makes a promise for you and you receive that promise, take communion over it. 
You ain't got to wait till the third Sunday till somebody come up here with a little white doily on their head and roll out the cart and give it to you. You can take communion at home. Amen. And so we ask you to do those four things. So in order to do the practical things, you got to read, study, and reflect on God's word. you got to pray for wisdom, guidance, and strength. Number three, you got to embrace consistency and perseverance. The Bible says after Abraham had been very patient. In other words, after he had been consistent. Show some consistency and let God show up on your behalf. It builds up your endurance to fight the good fight of faith. And then number four, we said you got to seek fellowship and support. You need to go to church. I don't care if it's online or if it's in person. You need community. You are not designed to be an island. That's the reason why when things go uh, awry and things happen and, and, and you get sad and you get depressed, you end up staying in your room, closing the blinds rather than reaching out to people who can support you because you haven't built community. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, community is important. So let's talk about this first one real quick. Read, study, and reflect on God's word. The Bible is not just a book. It is the living word of God. It is a source of light and guidance in darkness. In fact, Psalms 119, 105 beautifully describes the word of God as a lamp unto our feet, illuminating the path that we should walk in. It says, Lord, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Similarly, 2 Timothy 3.16 underscores the scripture's role in teaching us, correcting us, and guiding us in righteousness. This practice of reading and reflecting on scripture is fundamental to our spiritual growth and understanding. It is through engaging with the word of God on a daily basis that we allow God's truth to actually begin to shape our lives, transform our minds, and direct our steps. 2 Timothy 3.16 in the contemporary English version says everything in scripture is God's word. It says all of it is useful for teaching and helping people and for correcting them and showing them what? How to live. If you don't read your Bible, how you going to know how to live? If you don't read your word, what are you going to do when disappointment shows up? You have to read your word. Take your name and say, you must read your word. You must read your word. And then the second thing we said you have to do is learn to pray for wisdom, guidance, and strength. you got to learn to pray for wisdom, guidance, and strength. In the midst of life's storms and uncertainties, prayer stands as our beacon of hope. It is our mindset. Prayer puts me in the mindset to have the right expectation that what I'm praying and believing for is actually going to come to pass. It is our divine connection that connects our spirit with our Heavenly Father. The scripture is rich in its wisdom and it offers us a powerful reminder in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. And I love it. And I love here. I can never read this and not hear Pastor Cynthia quoting this scripture. Because here's what it says. It says, don't you worry about anything. Instead, do what? Pray about everything. Then do what? Tell God what you need. And then what? Thank him for all that he's done. Now, notice the, notice the pattern. It says, first of all, don't worry about anything. Okay? Don't worry about anything. Instead, do this. Pray about it. Pray about, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. It says, and after you've done that, tell God what you need. God can handle you telling him what he needs. But once you get through telling him what he needs, there's something you got to do to activate what you've just told him. He says, now you got to thank God for all that he's done. 
Now here's the mindset of an unbeliever. Ain't nothing happened yet. Here's the mindset of a believer. It's already done. It's already done. You notice the difference? You notice the difference? The, the non-believer is waiting to see if God's going to have something to happen. But the believer says, when I get through praying, it's already done. When I get through asking God, and really we don't even have to ask. I'm going to talk about this later on, I think sometime this summer. We don't even have to ask God for certain things. Now, I know we do it out of tradition, but we don't have to ask God to heal us. The Bible says that by his stripes, we are. So asking for healing puts me almost over here in the line with unbelievers. We're going to talk about this. We're going to get this right. We're going to get this part right. There, 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 there's a list of things that I've been, I've been encapsulating that we're going to have to train ourselves and, and stop asking God to do these things because we're not in faith when we ask because it's already done. I'm already healed. I'm already blessed. There, there, there's some things that I'm going to have to... We're talking about... We, 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 you, you, you're going to want to be here this summer. Understand, the act of surrender... And the act of faith allows us to cast all of our anxieties upon him who is infinitely capable of providing for all of our needs. Let's look at James 1 and 5. Because in James 1 and 5, it invites us to seek wisdom directly from God. A promise of divine provision that is generously given to those who ask. God, is not God doesn't mind if we ask him. The Bible says in James 1 and 5, if any of you lack wisdom, then let him do what? Ask of God. He says, and how does God give it to him? Liberally and unabraded. It says, and it shall be what? Given him. God wants you to ask him what you should do. God ain't like some people. You know, some people you ask them one, two questions. Now you bother them. You bother me now. I told you, you know, and then they get smart with you. Go Google it. The third time you ask, go Google it. God, YouTube it. <laughs> Figure it out. But, but God, will let, God will literally let you ask him questions forever. And because he's not a man that he can't lie, he actually will give you the right answer. So God says, don't, don't be afraid. Ask me. Pray for wisdom. Pray for guidance. Pray for strength. The Bible says, it tells us to let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence. Asking for wisdom and strength to face whatever disappointment may be in our lives. And then the third thing, we have to embrace consistency. This idea of consistency is so important. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to be consistent. Listen, consistency is a character trait. It can be developed. It can be developed. Listen, I remember when I first started making the decision I was going to start walking. Man, I used to just have to just some days just like, oh, my God. I'm, just, I'm like, oh, my God, why do I make this commitment? This is stupid. But the more I started doing it, right, I do it, I do it, I start doing it. You know, here I am. I, sometimes I don't feel like it, but I'm, and, and now here I am seven months later. I done did six miles before I came to church. I wake up, my wife is already awake. She on her phone. I'm like, well, these miles ain't going to walk themselves. She's like, well, if you walk, I'm going to walk too. Well, let's get up then. Let's go. Why? Because you can build consistency. 
you can build the kind of consistency to be like, you'll be driving somewhere like, wait a minute. I ain't praise God today. You pull over and start giving God praise. Why? Because you can build consistency. You can build it. You can, listen, you, we, Pastor Sean and I, we've always said this here at Fellowship of Champions, even when we was abundant life. We was like, if you can go to the movies for two hours, you can hear me preach for two hours. Oh, I can't sit that long. Build your consistency. You build it at the movies. You sit in cross legs so you don't miss something. You want to go to the bathroom. You want him to go to the bathroom. And then people say, well, the movies is entertaining. So is the word if you read it. Yeah, and it'll transform you. And make you like Iron Man. You got to read your word. You got to be consistent. You got to stop giving yourself reasons to be inconsistent. Stop giving yourself reasons to be inconsistent. It's cold. So, you said you was going to walk. That's why that's what I used to tell myself. Pastor, I was like, you finna walk out there in 35 degrees? Yes, because I told myself I was walking every day. That just means I got to put on more clothes. Stop giving yourself reasons to be inconsistent. It's raining. I can't go to church. It rained when you went to the club. <laughs> It ran when you got that call at 1 a.m. I ain't scared of none of y'all. I ain't scared of you. You can build that consistency. You do it in other areas of your life already. You're already doing it. You can do it where the word is concerned so you can build up yourself so you can live out the life that God has promised you. Hebrews 12 and 1 metaphorically invites us to run with endurance the race set before us, shedding every weight that hinders our progress. We got to stop giving ourselves reasons to be inconsistent. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. And especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with what? Consistency. That particular race that God has set before us. So I ain't asking you to run my race. I'm asking you to run yours. What have you promised to yourself that you would do in 2024 to be all you could be? Your goals don't have to be anybody else's goals. But your goals ought to really be your goals. And they ought to be big and hairy and audacious. They ought to be things that you have to go after. Your goals ought to be so big that you have no chance of reaching them without God's help. They ought to be so big that if God didn't do it himself, you ain't even going to come close. Because it'll teach you to be consistent. James 1 and 12 says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. What is the temptation? The temptation is to give up, to cave in, to quit, to turn back. He says when that temptation comes, blessed is that man because now it's his opportunity to show the consistency that he has developed. He says, blessed is the man 
that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, and disappointment's going to come to try you. It says, but you shall receive that crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that he loved them. This, this, this helps us to, to remain in faith. The Bible says that we ought to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What if, the work of the Lord is just not what you do in church. It's what God's called you to. Abound in that business. Abound in that relationship. Abound in that community service God has called you to. Whatever God has called you to do, man, be steadfast and unmovable in it. That kind of perseverance is not merely about enduring hardship. Everybody can endure hardship. We ain't talking about just, just sitting down, putting up with stuff that's going on. We're talking about overcoming it. Yeah. And then lastly, you got to seek fellowship and support. You need church. You need community. You do. You need it. Everybody needs a tribe. Everybody needs a group of friends who won't let you do unkind things to yourself. What do I mean? I mean, they won't let you just sit around and have a pity party. They need to do like my wife say. Listen, I want you to go with me. I'm even willing to pull you. But if you fight me, I'm going to leave you right where you are. Everybody needs somebody to pull them sometime. Everybody needs somebody to say, come on, man. Come on, girl. Everybody needs somebody to say, listen, I know it's tough right now, but you can make it. Everybody needs somebody to say, listen, I'm going to give you a good 30 minutes. You cry. You go off. You do whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm right here for you. I ain't going to even stop you. I'm just going to listen to what you have to say. But when you get through, we got stuff to do. We got goals to reach. I'm going to let you get all of that emotion out. I'm going to let you do everything you got to do. But at the end of it, we got places to go. But you don't get that when you're by yourself. Well, I don't, I don't really want nobody in my business until somebody got to be in your business. And, and, and then when people don't respond to you with a mediocre rise in, in, in attention, now you feel like folk don't love you. They ain't seen you. They ain't seen you in a year. You ain't said hi. You ain't, you ain't spoke to nobody. You ain't came to nothing. You ain't checked on nobody. But now because you're going through the whole world supposed to stop. I'm just keeping it real with you. It's a lot of people who will placate you, but I don't want you to ever have the wrong expectation. If I ain't seen you in a year, your emergency is not an emergency for me. I do life with people in community. In community. That don't mean I have to see you every day. That don't even mean I got to talk to you every month. But you cannot be a parasitic individual who only wants to show up when you want other people to give to you. That's not how the kingdom works. It didn't say everybody sharpen your sword. It says iron so if you're unwilling to sharpen somebody, expect to be dull. Expect to be dull. Expect to be dull. 
Because you're not going to. That's why you need community. That's why you need church. That's why you need to show up. That's why you ought to be a part of things. Even because watch this. Maybe you do have it all together. Praise God. But everybody don't. And you might could help them. But when you have a selfish mentality, your mentality is, well, I'm good. Okay, great, you're good. Other people aren't. How about you help somebody else be good? The Bible says the strong are to bear the infirmities of the weak. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 urges believers not to forsake the gathering of themselves together. Highlighting the importance of mutual encouragement. As we await Christ's return. Galatians 6 and 2 calls us to bear one another's burdens. Fulfilling the law of Christ through acts of love and service. In fellowship we find a shared strength. A collective resilience and a profound sense of belonging. This practice of seeking and offering support within the body of Christ is essential. Do you hear me? It is essential for our spiritual health, growth and well-being. It reminds us that we are part of a larger family bound by faith and love. That's why you need community. That's why you need it. Look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 in the the Living Bible. It says, in response to all he has done for us. Let's talk about Christ. Let us. I'm going to let y'all read it. Pause. He says, think about what Christ has done for us. Okay? How he saved you. How he picked you up out that pit. How he got you out of all those situations that you ran into yourself. It says he's been so good to us. He said, now the charge is for you and I to outdo each other. In being helpful and kind. Outserving each other. This is Bible. He says, let us outdo each other in being helpful and kind. That, and I love he said and kind because you can be helpful and rude. He said, be helpful and kind to each other and in doing good. Let us not neglect our what? Church meetings, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Now is not the time for folk for folk to be skipping church. I love that my wife lives this out. We're, we flew out to D.C. to preach for our spiritual parents, and we're just out sightseeing and doing something. And she runs into somebody who she knows from victory. And Pastor Sean was like, "Hey, I ain't seen you in a while. Blah 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 blah. How's it going? Blah blah." She says, "Well, I don't go to victory anymore." And Pastor Sean asked the natural question: If you don't go to victory, where do you go? She says, oh, I don't do that no more. Let's just agree to be in church. Come on. <laughs> there ain't no whole plan down the city. You need to be in church. Why haven't you at least found another place to worship? What are you doing? I'm just out here struggling because you ain't in church. You ain't getting the word. You're not reading it on your own. You're not hearing it preach to you. That next Sunday gets what she was. In church. Sometimes people just need somebody to give them a kick in the rear end and tell them to get their behinds back in church. They just need a kick in the rear end and say, hey, you know what? You foul for doing that. You, you, you know better than that. You, you out of bounds. You've let disappointment 
You let a pandemic, you've let habit set up in you. And it's one thing if you say I'm looking online, but before don't even lie no more. They just be like, nah, I ain't going. Well, why not? I don't know. Well, how's life treating you? Oh, let me tell you. Nope, don't tell me. Go to church. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Go to church. Don't tell me. He says, let us not neglect our church meetings, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. Galatians 6 and 2 says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so we fulfill the law of Christ. We are to be helpmate to one another. When you're going through and I can support you, when we're in community, that's what we do. And so if you're going to learn to manage disappointment, these are the things that you're going to have to learn to do. And when you learn to do them, you'll be able to move forward, not as victims of circumstance, but as victorious believers in Christ. When you understand that God has designed his word to equip us with everything we need to overcome, you will see the word of God as your first resort, not your last. Amen. Come on, give the Lord some praise. I want to encourage you guys. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the rest of this series, you should really go back. It's Managing Disappointment, Part 1, 2, 3, and 4, Staying in Faith in Times of Disappointment. And I'm telling you, it will absolutely bless your life. We've been getting so, I, Pastor and I were talking about it uh, when we did the teaching on overcoming offense. This may be the most general response we've gotten from people all over since we taught that particular series. This has resonated with so many people. And I think it's because we all do. We all suffer disappointment in some area of our life. But disappointment does not have to derail us. It doesn't have to derail our destiny. It doesn't have to derail our dreams. And it doesn't have to derail our desires. 